At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Today's episode is brought to you by our listeners and supporters over on our Buy Me A Coffee page. Thank you to all who support the show by giving our show a listen, leaving a review or comment, following us on our Twitter, or sharing the show with your friends and family. If you want to support the show further, check out our BMAC page for more information. Link will be in the description below. I would also like to take a moment to also make a special shout-out to another Finance Phrase content creator, at your resume one. Your Resume One is an artist who is currently working on a Finance of Freeze fan project known as Michael Phoenix AU, a comic detailing a what-if story in the world of Finance of Freddy's, where Michael survived the Labyrinth Fire in Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria Simulator. The story is an amazing character study of Michael with a fascinating take on the lore and characters, as well as an amazing art style that fits right in the world of FNAF. If you want more stories set in the FNAF universe, or are a fan of Michael Lafton, I highly recommend checking it out. A link to his Twitter account can be found in the description of this episode. Be sure to check him out and let him know that I sent my regards. And now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Into the Night a Finance Freddy's podcast. I am your host, Nick, and thank you for listening. In our last couple of episodes, we went over the story present in Finance of Freddy's Help Wanted and its DLC, The Curse of Dreadbear. I highly recommend listening to those before diving into this episode, as this will be a wrap-up of the final story elements within the game. A quick summary for those who need a refresher. After the events of Freddy Fazbear Pizzeria Simulator, aka FNAF 6, Fazbear Entertainment was liquefied and all its assets went effectively for sale to whoever was the highest bidder. While not confirmed, the only plausible solution so far was that Michael did such an effective job of running the facade arcade and pizzeria that many investors were looking to sweep up a quick profit by revitalizing and completely rebranding the franchise into something more clean and modern. They did this by not only covering up the events of FFPS, but also hiring an indie developer to create games based on the real events of Fazbear Entertainment's past while they were rebuilding. Fazbear Entertainment later claimed defamation, but this was part of a complex plan to bring the company back into the public spotlight, and in a way that made them look morally right as a family-friendly company rebuilding from hard times, being subjugated to unjust online harassment from a rogue indie developer. After the news began to spread, Fazbear Entertainment contracted a VR software company called Civil Paracel Games to develop a virtual reality experience based off the in developer's work. 
fully visualizing the events of Fazbear's past is nothing more than urban legends that had either never occurred or were grossly over-exaggerated. The game would be called the Freddy Fazbear Virtual Experience, and it would be designed to be a horror game experience as well as the catalyst for Fazbear Entertainment's complete rebrand. However, during development, Silver Parasol Games was given old hardware and rusted scraps of circuit boards and burnt electronics. They were told by Fazbear Entertainment that these circuit boards would speed up development using some proprietary technology that allowed the code of old robots to be transferred as usable data for their in-game digital counterparts. But Fazbear Entertainment, in a rush to get their rebrand on the way, had accidentally given them too much. While not specified, it is hinted that Fazbear Entertainment hired a fixer of sorts to break into Silver Parasol offices to take back the scrap animatronic parts because they had accidentally included information that proved that the Fazbear Virtual Experience was nothing more than an elaborate cover-up. But before the fixer had gotten there, the developers of the game had already scanned the rusted circuit boards into the game, resulting in a strange anomaly embedding itself into the code. Fazbear Entertainment had accidentally given them the circuit boards of the Spring Bonnie animatronic suit, the same suit that William Afton inhabited, which allowed William to transfer his soul into a new form of vessel and return back to life again, turning into the anomaly known as the Glitch Trap or the Glitch Trap Virus. Searching for a new physical vessel, Glitchtrap began to infect the mind of Silver Parasol Games QA developer Jeremy, but inadvertently caused Jeremy to slowly lose his mind and become suicidal, which led to Jeremy committing suicide by cutting off his face with a theatine paper slicer and bleeding out. This event started a domino effect of terrible circumstances. Silver Parasol Games was sued by either Jeremy's family or workers' right organization, Fazbear Entertainment bought out the company while they were weak to fully silence them in case they knew too much, and QA testing was transferred over to another developer known as Tape Girl. Tape Girl encountered the Glitchtrap virus and eventually chose to implement her audio diary that she had been recording during development into a small hidden area into the game hub. However, she had unwillingly created safe space for the virus, as it attached itself to her files that made it impossible for them to be deleted. To fix her error, before Fazbear Entertainment gave the game over to another development team, she ran a fragmentation program over the files, breaking it up, hoping to have eliminated the threat. When the new development team got their hands on the game, their new hire, Vanessa, was given the job of QA testing. She too unwittingly fell victim to the Glitchtrap virus, eventually leading her to become possessed after following a series of instructions by Tape Girl to supposedly purge it from the software. Unfortunately, those tapes seemed to have been a fake audio manifestation created by Glitchtrap to lure her into doing what it wanted, as it now had acquired a physical vessel to hide within in the outside world. Vanessa, now becoming a reluctant follower of the virus, became obsessed and began crafting her own destiny in the shape of William Aftons. She planned on showing him what she had in store by showcasing a prototype of her new rabbit mask, she'll be wearing as she takes over his mantle as a new serial stalker of Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. So tonight, we're going to go over some smaller aspects of the lore that we may have skipped over, but I still find intriguing or interesting within Help Wanted. So just like the previous wrap-up episodes, this one is going to be a more relaxed and laid-back episode, as we enjoy exploring the FNAF universe. So, grab a cup of your favorite Fast Cola, kick your legs up on your desk, and ensure you are fully relaxed.
This is episode 18, Just a Glitch. Let's start tonight's episode with some theory crafting. What big question that you may have had about Help Wanted is probably the crucial element of its story. How did William Afton come back again? While it's true that William and Michael both have the attribute of being durable as both have come back to life either multiple times or in a way unique to themselves, FFPS insinuates that Michael and Henry's plan was designed to make sure William had no way of escape or reviving himself. And even Ultimate Custom Night doesn't really end with the idea that William will return one day. Before I get into my theory of how William Afton came back, I want to preface my own personal opinion on William Afton's return. If you're not part of the larger FNAF community, then you are probably unaware of the split the fanbase has when it comes to William Afton's resurrection and help wanted. Some really like the idea, as it does fit the concept that William Afton is an unkillable evil, akin to the old 80s and 90s horror films like Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street, where monsters like Freddy Krueger or Jason are seemingly unstoppable forces of nature, evil that despite egregious wounds will somehow keep reviving itself. In the middle, some people think the idea of Glitchat would have been more effective if it hadn't been William himself, but a little part of his essence. While the true evil is still dead, you know, the human William, William is still causing misery on the living world, but through a method that he hadn't even considered, nor he, Mike, or Henry could have even been aware of. Others, however, grown tired of William Afton as the series' main antagonist, as the main villain for over the majority of the franchise, as well as the conclusion of FFPS being a near-perfect send-off for every character that was there. The inclusion of William Afton returning to a not-so-large majority seems cheap, as the fact that it ruins the entirety of Michael Afton's character arc over the series, seeing he spent so much time trying to redeem himself and take responsibility only to never accomplish his main goal after he sacrificed himself. I am somewhere in the middle, but leaning more towards the latter, I think bringing William Afton back could have been exciting if only done in a more proper way. How Steelwool, the developers of Help Wanted and eventually Security Bleach, I mean Breach, went about William Afton's resurrection was poorly handled in my eyes. The method of reviving him was a major plot hole, as some of you may have been thinking since two episodes ago. Well, hold on, if only it took scanning the circuit board to revive William, why aren't all the other scrap animatronics inhabiting the game alongside him? The only answer I can come up with is Steelwool literally didn't consider this. This is why a ladder character introduced in Security Breach was introduced, as Steelwool recognized their error and had to give some reason as to why the others weren't also reborn as well, despite that reason being pretty hand-fisted and quite disappointing when you really think about it. I think the fact that reviving William Lilly right after a game based on his eternal torment also rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. It shows a strong lack of faith in the developers and comes across as they don't know how to write an engaging story without him. That, and as I've said before, bringing William back and not explicitly bringing Michael back as well ruins Mike's entire character arc. If Michael had survived the FFPS fire and was off still doing his own thing, I don't think this direction would have been that terrible. 
just an idea I came up with, and something that doesn't even directly involve William. But wouldn't it have been interesting if Michael had survived the fire by escaping through whatever escape route Henry had planned? But his reasoning for this was that even after everything Michael did to redeem himself, he was still too afraid to die because he fears having to face his younger brother in the afterlife. His younger brother, the bite victim from FNAF 4, he is afraid to see him and terrified on what his younger sibling will say to him. This would be an engaging and interesting setup and fit in line with the concept that Mike and William mirror one another in their stories. As William too fears death, but specifically fears hell and paying for his crimes, hence why he, when he found out his victims live on other forms, he tried to unlock the secret to immortality. Michael had already gained immortality, but he too fears death but for a different reason, effectively being afraid to die and go to heaven and look at his brother's face again. Both fear death because they are afraid to face the consequences of their actions in life. Bringing back William though with no story, beat, or emotional resonance was by far one of the worst decisions they could have made when it came to reviving him. And it won't be the last time Steel will show they are pretty sloppy when it comes to the writing elements of FNAF. But back to the main topic, how did William come back? Well, there's nothing to state to confirm this. But by using what we know from the canon storyline as well as the Fazbear Fright novels, I think I can piece together at least a cognitively coherent storyline. After the events of FFPS, William Afton's soul was trapped in a state between life and death by Golden Freddy. These are the events that we see in Ultimate Custom Night. This goes on for a while, but because Golden Freddy refuses to let William go, he unknowingly creates a backdoor for his murderer. Despite the fire's nullifying effect on the supernatural, Golden Freddy had given him an effective shield that allowed his soul to remain the carcass of the spring body suit. The suit was broken down by the flames of the labyrinth and he could no longer operate it. Fire had completely taken away his ability to do that. But he could transfer his soul into another vessel if the opportunity arose. And it just so happened it did when Fast Entertainment gave Silver Parasol games and scrapped animatronic boards. Now, how they missed the literal mollified corpse inside the machine, I don't know. But Fazbear Fright had the same problem when they found Springtrap behind the false walls of the rundown original Freddy Fazbear restaurant. So, we can let that slide. I admit this theory isn't perfect, especially considering Steel Wool contradicts their own story and security breach because William Epson's body and suit are still intact because they can't help themselves, but it's the only logical conclusion I can come up with how William came back, because it does seem to be on part of William's revival in the Fast Fright novels. <sighs> Quick side note. You may have noticed that I've bashed Steel Wolves writing here or there and across the entirety of this series. That's because Steel Wolves storytelling makes me absolutely livid. I'll get into more detail about this at the end of tonight's episode. But let it be known that I don't think Steel will handle their story up to any particular merit when it came to help on its sequel, Security Breach. In Lim's terms, Steel will made poor work when it came to Security Breach, both in gameplay and in a narrative front. But that's for another time. Until then, let's talk before Security Breach. The Freddy Fazbear virtual experience was close to market, so... I wonder how did that game's release go?
No one knew what was going on. One night the game was near completion with DLC almost finished before released, and now half the game was missing. The DLC area was gone, the faster fright levels were completely missing, and the game was glitching and broken all over the place. No one knew what was going on or how they lost so much data. Vanessa had disappeared, apparently transferred to a new job elsewhere within Fastboot Entertainment, whom themselves were disappointed with the state of the game's release, but were content to make their money back and greenlit it for consumer enjoyment. We have no idea how the public reacted to it, but what we do know is the game was poorly optimized. This version of the game I am referring to is known as the Help One and Mobile ports. The iOS and Android versions of the games are actually different to those in the base games found on PC or consoles. It is the true release version of the free Fazbear virtual experience onto the FNAF world, with the glitches galore. But if one was to interact with these glitches, one would find an unusual surprise waiting for them. On the table, where normally during Vanessa's run, a VHS playback device would be resting, instead a game system resided. On the screen, the words Princess Quest can be seen. The character the player controls is a princess with yellow clothing and blonde hair. She has no weapons, but carries a lantern for light. When she leaves her current room, the player will then end up in a room full of floating rabbit heads that will tag her on sight. Each one sickly black, looking to be made of some ink-like substance. One large green eye taking up the majority of their head. After lighting more torches, the player can now go into the next room and get a key. More black rabbits, now with multiple eyes and legs, with large sharp teeth will block the door and attack if the player character gets too close. After escaping the interior of the castle, she finds herself outside on a rainy day. The princess travels across a cemetery of tombstones, similar to the five tombstones found in the Curse of Dreadbear DLC. Within the cemetery, the princess can find a chest where she can discover a purple key. She goes back inside the castle where she finds another door with a purple lock, infested with black tentacle-like entrails. Going inside, the princess is met with a dark void and an inner dread of meeting a terrible fate. One torch is found in the middle of the room. She lights it. She comes face to face with the glitching purple rabbit monster, representing Goat's Trap, surrounding and spreading across the walls of the room. The screen turns to static and more and more eyes start appearing around the princess. Pearl text in the bottom shows an encoded message, which when deciphered reads, Tonight's episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game that lets you take command of your own team of your favorite Marvel superheroes and villains to take on interdimensional threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse in an action-packed turn-based squad tactic RPG extravaganza. Embark on an extensive campaign, completing challenging missions as you fight your way through the expansive Marvel Universe, collect valuable loot, enhance the powers of your favorite characters, and level up to acquire new gear, unlock formidable attacks and abilities, and customize your characters with costumes inspired by the most infamous storylines. Did that get your attention? As we speak, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating its six-year anniversary. 
But here's the real kicker. New users signing up through our link and using the promo code MAXPOOL get an exclusive treat. You'll instantly add the Merc with the Mouth Deadpool to your roster, complete with character shards and anniversary diamond orb and gear. Also, please note that these sponsorships help support the production and the hours we put into creating content for you. So downloading this game, using the link in the description, and giving it a try would help out this podcast immensely. The game is free, and using the code MAXPOOL gets you a ton of free starting loot. So you got nothing but to gain for giving the game a try right now. Thank you once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Princess Quest is a metaphorical version of events we covered in a previous episode. Episode 16, Do You Trust Me? With the princess representing Vanessa, and how she slowly loses her body and mind to glitch trap virus before being fully engulfed and taken over. Her only instructions being to let him out. Now, some of you who have played Secure Breach know that in the game, Princess Quest not only makes it return, but two more levels can also be found tucked away in arcade cabinets. The problem with this is that Steel Wool, once again, couldn't help themselves and once again ruined the metaphor and instead made the Princess came directly tied to Vanessa's mind. And I don't mean metaphorically, I mean literally connected to how she could resist William's control of her mind. If you think that makes no sense, it's because it doesn't. It literally doesn't. There's no lore and no theory that makes sense of Steel Wolf's decision and security breach when it comes to its continuation of Princess Quest. It is blatant incompetence. Okay, getting a little negative there. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I'm totally not dreading making an episode on security bleak. I mean breach. I'm breach. Security breach. Um, um, let's, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about something else. Uh, around the Christmas of 2019, FNAF VR updated for the hall is, and included within that update was a small hidden teaser for what Steel Wolf was working on. Going back into Help Wanted, if you play Pizza Party again and make it back into the park and service room at the end of the maze, only this time the back door that was locked is now open. White light can be seen leaking in from an open gap. Small sprinkles of snow flutter in. If one, choo- if one chooses to go through the doorway, one is met with a construction site. Large pylons and I-beams pierce the skies. The infrastructure to be the size of a large complex or mall. Construction equipment, cement mixers, and excavators are spot across the construction landscape. If one turns around, one can spot the mountains of Utah high above them, the moon looking down upon the world. A billboard was precariously placed next to a small collection of trailers. High above it showed a silhouette of Freddy Fazbear with the words, Coming soon. Recall a few episodes ago, I mentioned briefly how Fazbear Entertainment had been financing and negotiating with Hurricane on the building permits for a large-scale construction project, one that surrounded Freddy Fazbear's pizza place, Michael Henry's fake pizzeria, 
The one where William Afton and all his twisted machinations were torched deep below the surface. But what could be being built there? And where are all the workers currently? Deep within the confines of the rundown pizzeria, a multitude of men were busy attempting to renovate the charred building that had seen better days. They had no inclination of how old the building was, but it was filthy and littered with scrap and trash. Primarily, a multitude of discarded and decaying metallic endoskeletons. The men absolutely dreaded carrying the encumbered some heavy metal robots. Gil, one of the workers on the renovation project, surveying the pizzeria next to the main stage in the back wall of the building. Next to the rectangular stage in each corner were bright lights that still illuminated, despite the lack of power in the facility. Looking directly at it, a small circular stage was to its left, draped with a red curtain that could probably fit one performer. Surrounding both wooden stages is what could only be described as robot Armageddon. Too many endoskeletons to count, and only four men tasked with tearing them all apart. As Gil was about to lean against the stage, his partner, Danny, crawled beneath the tarp below the main stage, pulling out another endoskeleton beneath it. Danny was annoyingly young and upbeat, neither which helped the job go faster. In fact, the four of them down here, both Gil and Danny along with the two other men named Carl and Owen, who were currently trying to tear off a robotic arm, Gil didn't see how it was going to be possible to meet their deadline. That's where Entertainment, or The Suits, as Gil liked to call them, had tasked them with renovating the place to be eventually memorialized. Danny had talked about the possibility that they were going to make it into a museum, or sprucing it up and preserving it while they build the massive building complex around it. The massive building would be a three-story infrastructure with arcades, restaurants, gift shops, laser tag, roller coaster, go-kart, and mini-golf. They were going to call it the Pizzaplex. Outside the abandoned restaurant, the downpour was heavy and came down so rapidly that vision would become obscured. Through the crackling sound of the rain and the dirt and cement pavement, the sound of intermittent beeps of a truck backing up. Two workers who had huddled on some scaffolding to keep dry so the truck pulled in, but were confused at its presence. However, they learned early on for working with fast entertainment that asking questions was never a good idea. A curly-haired man came running out of the truck with a clipboard. The two workers made a room for him underneath their mock shelter. He thanked them and presented them with the clipboard to sign. They were supposed to get shipped today, as well as to help unload it but they had no idea what was inside. The workers both raised an eyebrow. The paper documented state-of-the-art animatronics. Strange to be getting these before the stage is set up, let alone the walls, the floor, and the ceiling. The worker signed, the truck driver quickly locked his clipboard inside his truck and quickly tried to the back of it. He unhooked the large metal latch, making a loud thunk in the process before rolling up the door with a sound of metallic squeals. The three men hopped into the truck's trailer, sitting the various friendly-looking animatronics inside. One, a bear. Another, an alligator with a mohawk. 
both bipedal with broad chests. A white chicken and a gray fox, both with feminine features, also leaned on each other on one side of the trailer. A disturbingly thin and lanky robot who looked at the sun for a face. A wild smile adorned it with opaque white eyes, complemented with a golden-red jester-like outfit. Alongside a couple of other robotic endoskeletons, they all looked pristine and shined with that brand new car complexion. All except one. One endoskeleton, aged and tattered, stripped down of any outer shell. Unlike the robots the inner crew had been pulling out, it was impressive in its design, as it wasn't just a basic metal structure. Its steel frame was a collection of metal-like rods and curved plates. Its joints were spherical and dynamic. The robot was dark and discolored, as if it had survived some kind of fire. All except the animatronic skull, which was still silver. Its eyes were white, encased in steel sockets, and the larger lower parts contained an unhinged metal-toothed mouth. On the top of its head were two ears, bent and stuck out like antennas. Gil, who had taken a trip outside to get away from his co-workers, mainly Danny, appeared at the entrance of the cargo trailer. Gale spotted the bare endoskeleton and was immediately hit with a spark of inspiration. He muscled in between the three other men and told them he would take the bare endoskeleton, claiming it was clearly just meant for spare parts and he could find better use for it. The three men could only help but shrug. Less work for them, they guessed. Gale took it back into the pizzeria, huffing and puffing as he lugged the large machine through the rain. It was excruciating but it would all be worth it. Danny, Carlo, and Owen gave Gil a confused look. They were supposed to be tearing robots apart and getting them out, not bringing fully intact robots inside. Gil simply told them to carry on, however, that this robot was about to make their lives a whole lot easier. You see, Gil was in actuality a bit of a programmer, and originally wanted to be hired as part of the Pizzaplex's tech team. He had no experience, but he tinkered with programs and robots all the time in his garage. However, the suits didn't see him as reliable assets, and instead sent him digging up robots out of the gutter. This idea of his was not only going to make the job of the Renault crew much easier, but prove to the suits how reliable of an asset he truly was. He took out his laptop and felt the back of the robot's skull and flipped a switch opening the robot's mouth slightly. Inside was a jungle of tangled wires and servos, but Gil was eventually able to find a power coupler, connecting it to his computer. After a few moments of scanning code and a few more minutes writing some code of his own, he was able to create a rudimentary cleanup protocol for the robot. Gil disconnected his laptop and closed the robot back up before activating its startup protocols. The four Renault crew men surrounded the robot as its joints began to hiss and the sound of power began to hum from within its chest. Neil looked quite pleased. The other three men goggled or were on the edge of the robot waking. With a rumble and a click, it turned its head towards Guild. Away digging instructions. Gil had a wry smile. Danny was beaming with childish amusement. But Carlo and Owen were both still in a defensive stance. Gil looked at his new robot and gave its orders. 
He was to take inventory and break the limbs and heads off of all the endoskeletons of the restaurant and pile them up in the corner. The robot's internal mechanisms crackled and churned before opening its mouth again. Break off all limbs and heads. Pile them up. Easy peasy. Got it. The robot looked directly at Gil, which gave him a sudden shiver. Whether from the robot's glowing gaze or its surprisingly nonchalant addendum to his instructions, he didn't know. He rose to its feet before doing a quick 360 of the restaurant, most likely taking inventory before taking a step towards Carlo and Owen. Gil quickly stood up, and Danny's enthusiasm quickly collapsed into nervousness. Carlo had an expression of fear, or perhaps annoyance, or both. He and Owen quickly got out of the robot's path as it made a beeline towards a collection of endoskeletons. It picked up the nearest one to it and actually tore apart its arms and legs from its chest. Stumbling across the black and white checked linoleum, it started to make a pile of arms and legs, chests, and heads for every piece before moving back to the next robot in the pile. Kill was proud of his genius, and Carlo and Owen were happy the work would be cut down for them, but Danny was still uneasy. Danny turned around real quickly, only briefly seeing Gil toss his arms up when he saw how fast the robot was dismantling everything. When Danny was about to agree with him, he turned back and saw the robot loom over Gil. It moved blindly fast with little to no noise that it previously had done. Gil screamed as it pulled off his arms before moving on to his legs and his head. He hurled each limb to his designated pile before turning to the other three men. Despite the commotion melting everything so fast, and he swear the basic skull face was smiling sadistically as he pulled Gil apart. Danny, without hesitance, made a run for it, and heard Carlos scream momentarily before being silenced with a loud sound of bones cracking. The sound of wet blood hit the tiles, and blood sprayed on the brown walls. Another wrenching crunch was heard. Owen pleaded for help from Danny, but Danny kept running. Everything he was talking about being a good person flew in the back of his mind, and survival instincts took over. As they flew into the main dining room, some workers from the outside heard in, claimed that they heard the screaming. Danny told them to run as he dashed past him, but it was too late. The room was filled with the sound of chaos, metallic clanks, whipping stomps, the sound of bones cracking and popping and snapping, all covered by the choir of screaming men. Danny flung the pizzeria's main doors open and saw a few men talking next to a cement truck. He looked at Danny cautiously and baffled as to what was going on. Simi didn't care to reason, he only cared to live another day. He simply grabbed one of the men by their collars and told them to seal the door. The workers could only barely hear him over the sound of the cement truck, but as Danny kept screaming to seal it, they could begin to hear the sound of the other men screaming from inside. Danny didn't care to see the construction workers heed his warnings. He simply kept running and didn't look back, yelling at them to seal it. Before we wrap up tonight's episode, I think we should discuss the red neon light in the room. Security breach is obviously the next step in the journey of FNAF story, which has been something I have been dreading since the beginning of the year. When I started this podcast, I was excited for the game's release, but now that it has come to market and has sat with me for over six months, I'll be honest, I have no idea I'm supposed to make an episode out of it. The story and characters of Secure Breach are either so hollow or so incomplete written that I don't think it can make a full episode without it being filled with sarcasm or backhanded compliments. 
yes, I genuinely do not like the game that much. Which is why I'm hesitant to make an episode out of it. I think one of the reasons why this show has been so successful and why you all seem to love it so much is because how energetic and positive I get out talking and narrating the story of one of my favorite franchises. Now there's this black spot that I don't think I can discuss without pulling towards its apparent flaws. I mean, Security Breach has so many errors, not even just the fact his gameplay released buggy and still is, things like the ruinization of Michael Afton's arc or the character of Funtime Freddy, the lost potential of Vanessa and the underutilization of Glamrock Freddy, the stupidly obscure story of Gregory and the lack of fundamental world building with Phasma Entertainment, how contradictory the advancement of the Glamrock robots are and in conjunction with how supernatural powers of FNAF affect them. All errors that are impossible to ignore when doing a show like this, where we dissect every aspect of the story to find a deeper meaning. How can I dive into a narrative when its body of work is as wide and deep as a puddle? This is why I have flip-flopped numerous times on what decision to make. Do I bite my tongue and trudge on to make a normal episode of the show about Security Breach for all you all? I can do it. It would almost feel disingenuous if I'm not truly interested in it. Perhaps I can do a full-blown analysis of the story and what went wrong with it. The positives and negatives of Security Breach that we can discuss and, you know, review. But if it's too negative, even if you use comedy to create some levity throughout it, would that be enough to entertain you all? Would that be what you all want to listen to? I'm not sure what to do here. Because of this, I think I decided to put hold on continuing the story of FNAF until I can make a decision. I might pull the poll up on Twitter, maybe in the coming weeks if its decision must be made. Until then, I think I want to put it in the back of my mind and focus on the amazing stories within the franchise. I already have two in mind that I'm going to do. They are the best stories I think I have seen be told within this franchise. They aren't exactly canon, but they fit well within the lore despite it and are still stories that show how creative and emotional you can weave a tale within the world of Finance of Freddy's. And with that said, I believe that is a perfect stopping point for the night's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to stay updated, please consider subscribing, following, or sharing this podcast. It truly helps us broaden our reach. Consider following us on our Twitter at Fastword Podcast or supporting us on our Buy Me a Coffee page using the link in the description below. Next episode, we will be winding the clock back a bit for a small scale story of William Afton's actions and the emotional trauma and anguish he brought on more than just the direct victims of his blade. The story will be focusing on a family of young Susie, one of the victims of the missing children's incident, and how they attempt to live on in a world that took the young innocent Susie away from them. All unbeknownst to them, however, the spirit of young Susie still lingers on around them, only to always be pulled back to the pizzeria when the clock strikes at midnight. It's an amazing and emotional story, and I cannot wait to talk to you guys about it. But until then, I've been your host, Nick. And thank you all for listening. Have a good night.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.